and give you peace. If you've been here before, you've almost certainly heard those words, and if you've been here many times, you've probably heard those words many times. Do you recognize them? The last few words that I or another of your pastors speaks in our liturgy, in the order of divine service that we use on a very regular basis, and give you peace. You've heard those words lots of times, but I'd like you to consider just how rich in meaning that word peace really is. It kind of sums up for us that whole message that runs throughout our divine service, throughout our liturgy. And I mention it in particular today because it sums up the message in front of us today as well. A day when we remember, we recall, we think about how John went, or Jesus rather, went to the Jordan River and he was baptized there by John. John, the one who baptized so many people that he receives the title, The Baptist. There are all sorts of interesting things, fascinating things we might talk about in connection with Jesus' baptism and the things that surround it and the things that go on from there. All sorts of exciting things, but the most exciting of all, because it is the most important of all, is this message that comes out of it. The anointed one brings peace. The anointed one brings peace. The words that we're considering this morning come from Acts chapter 10. And Acts chapter 10 records for us words that Peter spoke. And we just have a few verses there that we're going to focus our attention on. But there's a lot of context there's a lot of kind of set up to what happens and what Peter says, but for now, we'll talk about those other things in a moment. For now, we note then that when Peter goes to speak to people the words that God wants him to speak, he starts by talking about Jesus and specifically by talking about his baptism. This is the way Peter describes the baptism. He talks about the baptism that John preached, and then he talks about Jesus' baptism in particular this way, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. We don't really use the word anoint a whole lot out of church context or outside of reading the Bible, but those who are familiar with the Old Testament were certainly familiar with anointing. They knew that God's prophets and priests and kings were anointed. Oil was poured over their heads, and this marked them. It set them aside. It notified people publicly that God had selected them for that particular position, and it installed them, in many cases, into that position of service. Jesus, at his baptism at John's hand, was anointed. There had been many quiet years of his life, years that we know precious little about because Scripture just doesn't tell us much at all. And then all of a sudden, he appears. 
This is where we get the title of our worship series, Jesus Appears, because starting now, he bursts onto the scene. And we see him doing miracles and going about teaching and healing and so on. But it all starts right at that point when Jesus is baptized at the hands of John, when Jesus is anointed. Jesus wasn't anointed with oil like those Old Testament prophets and priests and kings. Maybe you say, oh, he was anointed with water. He was, he was baptized with water. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. You recall, we read it earlier, Matthew records for us how, how the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. And Jesus was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was given power to do what he was setting out to do. And maybe that sounds strange too. Maybe you would say, well, Jesus doesn't need that power. He's God. Didn't we just talk at Christmas just weeks ago about how even as a tiny infant laid in a manger, he was still God, almighty and eternal? Why would he need the power of the Holy Spirit? Certainly those things that we've said are true. But at this time and in this place, in the person of Jesus Christ, God was humbling himself. God had humbled himself. And he was there looking and appearing just as any other human being. He was living under the law. He was living with restrictions and confinements that were never meant for God. He had humbled himself so he wasn't making use of or putting on display the power that belongs to him as God, the glory that he truly has from all eternity as God. No, instead, in our place and for us, he was relying on God's power. He was depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to help him in his work and to help him in his ministry, and that's exactly what happened. His ministry, his work, is kind of succinctly summed up right here in Peter's words as well. He says, He, Jesus, went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We're going to hear a lot more about Jesus' ministry, Jesus' earthly work in the coming weeks as we continue through the church year. We'll hear about miracles. We're here. We'll hear about teaching, about calling disciples. And you may think from these words, hearing about uh, healing those who are oppressed by the devil, you might hear, think about some specific opportunities when Jesus drove demons out of people, when people were possessed and controlled by those demons and he, he rescued them, he saved them, but that's not all that Peter's words refer to. When Peter says that Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him, 
He's speaking in broader terms. He's talking about the fact that Jesus has indeed helped all who were oppressed by the devil, and that includes you, and that includes me. We're not just talking about demon possession, but you know what it's like to be oppressed by the devil. That's really actually a very good description of what we were and what we are at too many times in our lives. What we were when we were born, we weren't on God's team, so to speak. We were his enemies. We were oppressed by the devil. And the devil's oppression still comes to us consistently because his crafty temptations worm their ways into our ears and into our hearts, and he leads us through those temptations to do things that God's people should never do. And then he whispers lies to us. He says, you know, if something about your life needs fixing, well then you better fix it. If somebody needs to work on things, make your relationship right with God, well, I guess it's going to be you. And you better get to that work. Where's the peace in that? Where's the peace in even entertaining a voice like that and in striving and trying and hoping and searching to be better or to do better? Where's the peace in knowing that I have done wrong? And at best, just hoping that I've also done enough good that it might make up for those other things somehow? There's no peace in that. There's only suffering. There's only hopelessness. Peace, true peace, comes from the ministry and the work of Jesus. The one who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He was doing good. It's kind of understated in Peter's words there. Because for some 30 years already, Jesus had quietly been doing good. And by doing good, I'm talking about he did everything perfectly. Without failing once, without sinning once, without disobeying his heavenly Father, our heavenly Father, even a single time, and then he appears, he bursts on the scene, he's anointed, he's given this power, he begins his earthly ministry so that people might recognize that he has done good and he is doing good and he is the one who was promised. The one whom all those prophecies talked about, the one who is doing this work and doing it perfectly for us, in other words... Our peace comes not from our good, but from His good. The things that He has done for us, and we have it guaranteed to us even from the Father Himself. You heard the voice from heaven. This is my Son whom I love. I am well pleased with Him. He's done it all perfectly. See, the, the good of Jesus 
was the reason John said, well, this doesn't make sense. You should be baptizing me, not the other way around. But the good that Jesus was doing was precisely the reason that he insisted that John baptize him. Because Jesus was identifying with us sinners. He was taking our place. He was being anointed for this role. And he was being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that through his life, his perfect life, and through his death, his innocent death, and through his glorious resurrection, he might bring peace. And so he has. The anointed one brings peace through his good work. And he brings peace for all nations. I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of context to the words that Peter speaks in the few verses before us. Let's talk about that a little bit. Peter was in a town called Joppa. He was staying there for a time when God revealed to him a vision. And not just once, but three times God gave him the same vision where he showed Peter all sorts of food that before this Peter would have known and he would have called them all unclean. And God said, take it and eat. Meanwhile, in fact, even a little bit before that, in another town there was a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Gentile and he was a leader in the, uh, the military. He was a centurion. And he also had a vision from God. And in his vision from God, he was told, send for Peter. Peter's there in Joppa. Here's how you can find him. Have him come to you because I will send a message through him. So Cornelius sent his spokespeople to talk to Peter and tell him what happened and encourage him to come to Cornelius' house. And that's what happened. The next day, Peter left, and the day after that, Peter arrived at the home of Cornelius, and he went inside. Now, going inside a house may not seem like a big deal to you, but for Peter, it was a big deal. Because this was the house of a Gentile, and this was a house that Peter would have avoided completely before this. But Peter had gotten the message. He had heard God's command not to call anything unclean that God had made clean. And he heard the voice of God in the, the uh, messengers who came who recounted to him the vision that Cornelius had had, calling Peter to him. And so Peter went. And you heard how Peter starts this whole speech. Now I really am beginning to understand that God does not show favoritism. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Peter knew what the Bible said about God's love, that it has always been intended for all people. Peter knew about Jesus and how He died to uh, save the whole world from their sins. Peter heard these messages but it wasn't until that point where he was standing in the house of a Gentile who had called him there that he really started to, to get it. 
to understand what it mean to what it meant, what it implied that God does not show favoritism. That that message of peace that he had given first to the Jewish people was about to to spread out in new and glorious ways to many others, to many Gentiles, to, to many nations. And that's amazing news for you and for me. This peace of God. Think about it. It might have seemed for a time like God was showing favoritism because God had picked out the people of Israel, the nation of Judah. He had chosen them. He had treated them in such a unique and special way. But God wasn't showing favoritism. It wasn't favoritism that you see in that. What it was was God's plan and God's promise. And God keeping that promise and God carrying it out and sending the one who was anointed to save. Once again, I'll repeat, that's amazing news for you and for me. That the anointed one brings peace for all nations because here we are part of all nations. That God has given us that grace and that peace. What a promise of God that we have the forgiveness of sins, that we don't have to worry about our striving any longer, that we can see this entire beauty before us. We have the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That means that we have opportunities to share that message too. Not opportunities necessarily like Peter's, where a vision over here and a vision over there connect to bring him in front of Cornelius and and with the glorious results that, go ahead and read what comes after our verses and see some of those glorious results. No, we may not have opportunities like that, but we do have opportunities. Think about some of those opportunities in your own life. Maybe it's the guest who walks in our door here at church and doesn't look quite like most of us or you in particular, and so it makes you a little uneasy. That person needs God's peace. Think about the neighbor that you know who's living a lifestyle that's displeasing to God. You're aware of that, and it kind of turns you off. You don't feel good about it at all. That person needs God's peace. Think about somebody else you know who has a different uh, political idea than you do, a different political leaning, and so you're just not sure about that person. Well, she needs God's peace, too. And how about you? When your conscience rightly speaks up and says, you did it, again, the wrong thing. You need God's peace. Whether it's for showing favoritism or avoiding opportunities or any of those things or any other sin, you need God's peace and you have it. 
You have it to know and to enjoy, and you have it to share because you know where that peace comes from. Jesus Christ, who was anointed to bring that peace. You don't need to wait to the end of our service to hear about this peace. You've been hearing about it throughout our service. Go ahead and page through the service again sometime. We even sang together, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. You have that thing that you rely on the most and the thing that serves you best for right now and forever. Because the one anointed to save brings you peace. Amen.